Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of My Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I'm thrilled to have you here this week. Welcome back for those returning. Uh, thank you for being a part of our community of liberty lovers, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, this week, we are going to be going over and returning to, like last week, our uh, series on the horrors of collectivism. It's our October series for the month of October. It will be an annual series. Last week, we touched on, uh, I would I would say, the most recent case and the most recent case of failure in, in collectivism, that, which is the 21st century case of socialism in Venezuela and how it was supposed to be this wonderful paradise and how everyone was calling it a massive success until it started failing and then they said, well, that's not real socialism, ironically enough. Um, but this week, I, I, I did that last week because I wanted to touch on something that was more recent so that we could make relevant. This week, I'm going to touch on something a little bit older, but I think it drives the nail home because it is our story. This is America's uh, little experiment in collectivism. And that is, of course, I'm going to be going over, as you can tell in the title, the American Progressive Era and the horrors that transpired in that time frame. Because this, I think, is going to be one of the darker episodes that we have done here on this program. Because some of the things that have happened or some of the things that have uh, that that took root during this time frame here in America that really uh, came to be something atrocious and evil in other countries and other places around the world because of what happened here in America is frightening and it's terrifying. Um, and I think it fits in quite well with the series that we're doing, and especially with the theme, the October theme, the, uh, the horror theme of, of Halloween for this month. Um, so let's, with that being said, let's... Uh, get into it. The progressive era in the early 20th century is really one of my favorite eras to go over. Uh, one because it's it's my it's my top two. I I would say one is the first one is the founding era because that is I believe where we have gotten things right the most often. Not entirely, but that's where most of the answers to today's problems to yesterday's problems and to tomorrow's problems where they can be found um, because it is it is a, an era of liberty and of rationality and of logic uh, and free thinking and, and freedom of thought and that's it's it's really one of my favorite eras to, to go over and to learn about and to talk about and to teach about the other one however the progressive era is the exact opposite of that and that's what makes it so fascinating for me because it's while the founding era is what i think we can look to for our way forward the progressive era is what i think we can look to to say we should never ever ever touch this area ever again this is a mistake that we must learn from 
Now, of course, there were mistakes even back in in the time of the founders. You know, it wasn't very long before liberty was truly tested. The the Adams administration was the first real test of this American experiment, the experiments of of how much we can actually control government. And it was somewhat successful, I would say, uh, the, because Liberty eventually did win out in the end, even despite the fact that Adams uh, went after free speech. But in the progressive era, it was different. There was a completely different mindset in the progressive era. The, the people, even the people who supported the Sedition Act in 1798 during the Adams administration, I think would have been horrified at some of the things that occurred during the Progressive Era and the expansion of government. But I don't even want to go over necessarily all the all the expansions of governments or uh, or the creation of the Fed in this episode. There are, there are plenty of chances. Uh, to go over those individually, and I think they deserve to to uh, to be gone over individually because it is that important. Each thing that has occurred um, that was a massive impact on our society, it is that important. But for the sake of the themes of this series itself, I want to go over the darkest and ugliest things that transpired during this specific era in our history. And the first of those the, the first of, of those uh, those those things that that occurred is our history with the eugenics movement. Now it's it's easy to get caught up in the left right banter um, but what you're gonna find here is that the things that we're going to be talking about in this uh, episode, it is probably the ugliest form of collectivism, and eugenics is right at the core of it. You see, eugenics is, uh, I would say, competing with slavery um, and with the Trail of Tears and the treatment of Native Americans as some of the worst things that have occurred in American history. Now, it's important to understand this because American history is a lot of gray. The right tends to paint our history as this glorifying, wonderful experience that we have never done anything wrong or very few things wrong, um, and the left tries to do the exact opposite. And really, neither of those instances are true. And when we have done wrong... We have to understand that it's when we gave up or turned our backs on temporarily on the principles that we were conceived in. And I think that is what is most important. Well, eugenics and the progressive era, that is certainly a case where we completely turned our backs on the things that made America so great and so fantastic. Eugenics is, it, it, it literally means good genes, or it, it means um, it, it means that you're born with the right genes and the right gene pool. It's the, it's the push to, to purify the races. It's, it's the push to make sure that, 
that only the strongest or only the 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 best survive so that we can have the best society imagined or at least that's what the argument is that's what the argument was certainly in the 1900s and this is a this is a very interesting situation in american history because it not only had the support the popular support it was a very populist movement on one hand but on the other hand it also had the academics oftentimes throughout history uh the academics and the populists are at each other's throats they're 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 fighting for control one over the other um the elitists or the academics versus the populists um but this was a situation where they both pushed and pushed and pushed uh, for this purifying of, of, of the gene pool that they were trying to accomplish through eugenics. This is the ultimate realization of collectivism, is that some individuals are just not pure enough, are just not fit enough for the greater good. And that, I mean, that that is what this episode is about. That's what, what connects all these series together is that the individual does not matter the collective is the only thing that matters they thought they sought to see this good uh gene pool through like i said through eugenics and then also through abortion it is no mistake that the two rose in popularity uh right around the same time now or excuse me not eugenics but sterilization and through abortion uh now sterilization was the tool that was most visibly used and the one that we today condemn the most obviously we don't condemn abortion the way that we condemn sterilization it was so bad at at that time at that time of our in our history that uh, even 28 states at the time legalized forced sterilization for the undesirables in society. The ones who initially, this was a push to prevent um, people who had a certain disability or a certain mental uh, disability or even physical disability um, from uh, reproducing. But eventually, this is a no-brainer that anybody with, with two cents could see where this is going. It moved away from just preventing people with disabilities from reproducing to keeping people who are poor from re- reproducing, keep, keeping people from, uh, you know, keeping minorities from uh, reproducing, keeping uh, anybody who the greater good, the collective, deemed unworthy. And those typically who were worthy were typically uh, rich, especially white individuals. Progressive uh, hero Oliver Wendell Holmes, he was a Supreme Court justice who the left loves to quote, especially when talking about something like free speech, about he was the one who who gave the... um, the fire in a in a crowded theater uh, example when in support for for limiting free speech, which has been used completely out of context. But that's a that's a different story. I want to keep on task here, or else we can go on for hours on this. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes 
uh, praised sterilization. He loved the idea of sterilization, even saying that three generations of imbeciles is far enough in the 1927 case of Buck versus Bell. Understand that this is, this is forcibly preventing people from reproducing because somebody else deems them unworthy. It's no coincidence that many of the same arguments that are used that were used then for sterilization is used now for abortion. Many of the same arguments when it comes to um, mental health or uh, disabilities or uh, or being poor, keeping people who society deems that they don't want. Those are the ones that have to be kept from reproducing. This is an evil, evil mentality. And it is no surprise at the results of this mentality. Now, during this movement, there were two major, uh, really major players that was, that was really pushing for um, the, the eugenics movement. One was uh, Madison Grant. Now, he is like a Richard Spencer uh, academic intellectual on steroids. I mean, this guy was rough. And the other one was Margaret Sanger. Now, you are probably familiar with her. She is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And I want to touch on both of those individuals, and you will be absolutely shocked at what some of them believed and what people who we revere in American society had to say about them. First, I want to touch on Madison Grant. Grant was a New York lawyer and a leader in the eugenics movement. He was an academic, a professor. He published uh, several books to include the likes of The Passing of the Great Race and uh, The Conquest of a Continent. Very, very racially motivated, um, very racist ideas and racist books. Uh, He called for the sterilization of adults and thought anybody he didn't specifically like should be sterilized and had no rights. Anybody who he deemed unworthy because he was the intellectual. He was the he was the one who who thought he knew what was best for society. Here's a quote. Just just touching the surface of this deeply demented individual. The laws of nature require the the obliteration of the unfit and human life is valuable only when it is of the use to the community or race. That is Grant and the passing of the great race. Completely evil mentality. It's ironic that uh, these individuals cite this, uh, this sort of Darwinist idea of survival of the fittest, yet they don't want nature to decide who is fit to survive. Otherwise, you would just let things be if that was your, your argument. No, they use that argument, yet they want to play nature. They want to play Mother Nature. They want to play God because they think they are the only ones who are smart enough to decide. Not even nature and not even God is smart enough to decide who is fit and who is not fit to survive. It's very ironic, I find. Now, he had uh, very several, 
several uh, praises of his uh, of his book, The Passing of the Great Race. One of which I will touch on in a few moments because I want to to connect this all back, and you'll be horrified when you when you hear one of one of the uh, one of the individuals who loved this book, and even more horf- horrified at another individual who I'm going to be touching on right now who loved this book. This is a quote praising this book, and I will I'll let you ponder while I go through this quote to just take a guess on who said it. This book is a capital book in purpose, in vision, in grasp of the facts that our people must need to realize. It's the work of an American scholar and gentleman, and all Americans should be grateful to you for writing it. Now, who could possibly say, uh, say that? This was in a letter to Madison Grant praising um, his work on the passing of the great race. This completely racist and really calling for some sort of genocide or, or many genocide, hidden genocide, if you will, of individuals because they because he thinks he is smart enough to decide who is fit and who is not. Who could possibly say something about such an evil individual? Well, that quote comes from none other than a progressive and really conservative hero to many individuals, Theodore Roosevelt. Something else they had in common is that both were great environmentalists. And make no mistake, that's, <laughs> it's, it's no mistake that those two crossed paths. They were very, very dear friends. And both of these individuals had the same mentality. Now, I'm not going to touch on uh, Theodore Roosevelt too much, even though there's so much to go into. But if you like Theodore Roosevelt, you really need to reconsider that. Because that guy was a monster. I, 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 there is so much to go into with him that I can do an entire series on him alone. But we have more to go into. But just keep that in mind, and maybe a little bit of a preview for, for future episodes of Liberty. Uh, now, transitioning into Margaret Sanger. Sanger, of course, as I said, was the founder of Planned Parenthood um, and had some very dark origins of her own, very similar to Madison Grant. Whereas Grant was the intellectual, the scholar, the, the professor type. Uh, Sanger was the populist. She was if 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 Madison Grant was a was a professor academic type of Richard Spencer, then Sanger would have kind of been like what Milo is to the alt right. She was this populist who who loved to stir up red meat, who loved to really pull on the heartstrings and emotions of individuals. Her abortion quest, her her quest to to make abortion as readily available to all women as possible, had very little to do with women's health. Now, yes, there were some other things that that was connected into it. Sure, I understand that. Uh, she also was was very pro birth control and and very pro women's health. But the core of abortion itself was very, very dark in the similar capacity that Madison Grant was. Abortion thrived under the uh, eugenics movement 
and carved out the same purpose as sterilization. The Sanger's goal was to rid the world of the unfit and undesirable, like Grant, only mostly through abortion. This is this is why that these two these two horrible evil um, practices and ideas thrived in this time frame in this movement. The undesirables that she spoke of usually consisted of the disabled, much like uh, Grant with sterilization, the poor, and very specifically racial minorities, and even more specifically than that, black communities. Colored people, she said, are like human weeds and are to be exterminated. It is no mistake uh, many of these arguments for sterilization then, as I have said before here on this program and on this episode, that many of the same arguments for sterilization was used and is used today for abortion. It is no mistake that the the black community is hit uh, disproportionately high when it comes to abortion. They target the poor communities, the poorest among them. uh, Sanger's racial cleansing idea drew the eye, and here's an even bigger kicker, it drew the eye of the KKK uh, nonetheless, who she even spoke to in many speeches across the country. And that leads into the next point. If if you were thinking, man, that many of these ideas of of, uh, sterilization and abortion throughout the eugenics movement is very has very racist origins well that's no mistake because racism was actually on the downfall after civil war sure there were the rise of groups like the kkk and stuff like that afterwards but but things were beginning to integrate fairly quickly that is until the progressive era that was when uh, racist ideas, racist individuals had a really strong rebound. Because remember, racism is just an ugly form of collectivism. When you group an entire race of people into one, one collective and say that these people are less desirable, these people are less than we who have the right genes, we who have the right skin color. That's all it is, is a form of collectivism. That's why it thrived in the progressive era, because it's nothing but a collectivist movement. Now, while Sanger, Grant, and even Teddy Roosevelt affected culture to support these racist ideas and 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 really, I think it's it's quite fair to say genocidal ideas, um, it was another individual who was also an academic who gave them their biggest push, Woodrow Wilson. This is something I've, I've obviously touched on before, and this is something that, again, like Theodore Roosevelt, we can do an entire series on this man because of how dark and demented he was. But for this, for this purpose specifically, I'm going to be touching on his racism because he was, in fact, one of the most racist presidents we have ever had. In 1912, uh, much of the government was already, it was already integrated. 
um, with with blacks holding very high profile jobs. Well, that didn't last very long whenever Wilson took charge in 1913. In 1913, he dismissed 15 of 17 black supervisors with federal jobs. Uh, he offered to resegregate many federal uh, departments and instructed the Secretary of Treasury, the Postmaster General, and the Department of the Navy to segregate all of their departments. He cut ambassadorships to uh, Haiti and San Domingo to blacks and gave them to whites. When a delegation of black professionals appeared to the White House to take issue with these actions, Wilson declared, now get this, now understand what, what he's saying to them. He said, segregation is not humiliation, but a benefit, and ought to be so regarded by you gentlemen. That is horribly, horribly racist, but it doesn't stop there. In 1915, the first movie to ever, ever premiere in the White House was called Birth of a Nation. If it sounds familiar, um, there was a, a recent adaptation. It was very different from, from the original. It's, it was actually kind of an inverse of the original. Birth of a Nation, it was based on the book The Klansman about the rise of the KKK in Reconstruction. The movie was used by the Klan as a propaganda tool and a recruitment tool to drive up memberships, and its first premiere was in the White House. Memberships soared as a result of this with the seeming seal of approval from the President of the United States. But oh, it it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't stop there uh, for for this dark era in our history because it even goes deeper than that. If you have thought throughout this episode that this sounds awfully familiar, that, that this doesn't sound like American history, this sounds like it's history of another country that has much darker origins that has a much darker history than America does. Well, that is probably because what you're thinking of actually is correct. If you are sitting here listening to this, thinking to yourself, this sounds an awful lot like Nazis. Well, that's because actually what occurred and what I'm saying here specifically, the, the history that I'm laying out to you right now, what occurred right here in the early 1900s was probably the greatest influence on Nazi ideology, Nazi rise to power, than any other influence throughout the world. Wow, <laughs> that is a, a statement to be made. But get this, uh, Nazis in the 30s looked to the progressive era in America to mold many of their ideas. The first, of course, would be the ideas of eugenics. In fact, they they took what America, they said, look at America, they have it right. They know exactly what to do when it comes to undesirable individuals. They have the answer. This is what we can do with Jews. This is what we can do with blacks. 
what they are already doing, or what they have already done. Nazis took much inspiration and took many of our ideas about eugenics. They took many of our um, history with, with collectivism and applied it to their own country and forming their dark, evil, demented ideology. But even more than that, even their method of propaganda came directly out of the progressive era, and specifically, it came out of the Wilson administration. The Nazis learned propaganda directly from Woodrow Wilson and his propaganda efforts during World War I. Now, what do I mean by that? There was a committee formed called the Committee of Public Information. It was sometimes called the Creel Committee um, because... Uh, Wilson's chief propagandist, George Creel, was at the uh, was at the head of it, and Edward Bernays was also uh, one of his one of his top pro- uh, propagandists. The Nazis looked to these individuals and how they formed, uh, how they how they shaped the idea of what a German is, the the propaganda to be able to get the people to turn, not only on Germany. Not only on Europe, but also on their own people. They use many of the same techniques and the same ideas, the same ideologies, as Woodrow Wilson did during World War I. And even more than that, Hitler's chief propagandist, Joseph Goebbels, kept, actually, and learned from and and read uh, one of Wilson's chief propagandists, Edward Bernays, his book, ironically called Propaganda. And remember whenever I was talking about how um, there was another individual who had a very interesting quote on Madison Grant's book on the passing of the great race and how Theodore Roosevelt's uh, quote is very damning, but it's even more damning when compared to this individual. Yes, well, that individual happens to be Adolf Hitler. He actually loved the book, and he called it his Bible. Yes, America has a very dark, dark history when it comes to collectivism. But we have many, many great episodes throughout our history as well. We were conceived in liberty, but it does not take long. Once we start turning away from that, once we start rejecting those ideas, once we start saying we are better than the ideas the Founding Fathers laid out in 1776, then all men are created equal. Are they really? Or is that just code for evil, rugged individualism, and it just gets in the way of the greater good. Whenever we start having that mindset, we begin to reap what we sow. And we did in the early 1900s. Many of the things that we sowed were reaped by Nazis. And it is of no coincidence that we actually had to face this evil to our face in World War II. The seeds that we had sown were reaped by a very dark, ugly, demented society. We have to face that reality. We still can. And understand that America is not 
necessarily this evil country, but it's not this this untouchably good country either. It's very gray. But what makes it so gray is what makes America so great because we actually learn from our mistakes. If we continue to learn from the mistakes that we made in the progressive era, and I haven't I didn't even touch on the growth of government. I didn't touch on the the kind of regulations, the control in the economies. I touched only on the deepest, darkest, ugliest side of the progressive era in this episode. But there's so much more that I could go into, and I will in many episodes and profiles that we will be doing very shortly on this program. Just a little foreshadowing for you on future episodes. If there is one lesson that you take away from this, it should be remember your history. Remember even the deepest, darkest, ugliest chapters in that history, like this one right here. I Like I said, this is on par with slavery and um, the, the Trail of Tears. I fully believe that. This is very dark stuff, but it doesn't always have to be. We can learn from this. We can learn from many of the state mistakes that we have made throughout history. We can grow from it, and we can make an even more free society because of it. All right, that is our episode this week. I know that was a very dark um, chapter uh, for this series, but that's kind of the point of, of, the, uh, of the series. It is the horrors of collectivism, not the sunshine and rainbows of collectivism. Um, next week, we're not getting much brighter. <laughs> and as we go through the, the Great Famine in China under Chairman Mao, and yeah, you you better be ready for uh, for for another dark episode for that one. Um, and then after that, after we close out our horrors of collectivism series for this year, we of course remember that on November the second, Dave Rubin will be joining the program here on the Liberty. I'm very excited to share this episode with you because it is a very big guest. And it really was a tremendous interview uh, that I cannot wait to share with you. So prepare for that. Share it. Share this episode with your friends. Uh, share the history and the knowledge that you've learned from this. And hopefully we can move forward from it in the future. Again, this, is, <laughs> this has been a great show. I really love doing this program for you. I hope you love this program as much as I love doing it for you. If you enjoy the program, like on uh, on on Facebook, like Outset on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update. Give us, give us a rating and a review. Follow me, at Caleb Franz, on Twitter. Follow the show, at Miliberty, on Twitter. And until next week, we'll see you.